Hello, listeners. <laughs> Do you guys know we're on uh, places that you can follow us? Yes, social media. Almost all of them. You can find us on Instagram at Crane Kick Commentaries. Uh, we are on Twitter at Kick underscore Crane. <laughs> And, you know, and you can find us on YouTube just by searching Crane Kick Commentaries or Facebook just by searching Crane Kick Commentaries. Um, we also have a website, www.cranekickcommentaries.wordpress.com. We are also on several platforms such as Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, many others, wherever you get your podcasts, except for Spotify. But we're working on it. You know, you won't find us on MySpace. Not yet, that is. Not yet. I don't know, does MySpace still exist? I think you can make a MySpace account. All right, yeah, find us on AOL <laughs> and, uh, and use that. What's your, uh, what's your MSN messenger tag? Yeah, what's my MSN messenger? <laughs> Welcome to the Crane Kick Commentaries podcast. So smooth. So smooth. Today we're coming at you with Men in Black. Uh, the first one, 1997. Oh, it, it, it was dangerous to do this film. I think uh, letting me look into something that involves aliens is uh, not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to think it wasn't a great idea. But, you know, we shall we shall proceed. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my friend Keaton Byer, and today we are joined again by um, University of Toronto uh, physics PhD student Felix Frontini. Well, hey, Felix. hello there. How's it going, guys? Good to be back. Yeah. Uh, you want to go ahead, Felix, and uh, sort of give us a synopsis of this movie? Well, um, I mean... I mean, I think it can all be summed up with the uh, the History Channel meme of the guy just saying aliens, right? <laughs> um, but no, I guess there's there's there might be some aliens, right? In this movie. Major spoilers, uh, major spoilers. Uh, uh, well, I guess the general synopsis is that you have uh, James T. Edwards. He's a NYPD cop, and uh, his remarkable skills get noticed by an underground secret organization uh, branch of the government that apparently none of the rest of the government knows about, which is a little bit strange. Um, yeah, it's, it's questionable whether or not they really are a branch of the government. Yeah, yeah, whether they're actually legitimate <laughs> they, at all. They may have been at one point. They do specify, but... don't they? No, they say, like, uh, we were, like, they said it all started out as a government, as a small underfunded government agency, right? Right, and then they just went, they just went rogue. 
Yeah, well, yeah. He they, goes on to say that they like separated yeah. from that, so they're basically independent. They're basically yeah. independent, and they have enough alien tech to because they're self-funded, right? Because of the alien tech. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's all like fairly questionable. Yeah, but you know, okay. But getting back uh, to the synopsis, um, yeah, 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 James T. Edwards uh, gets picked up by the Men in Black, and uh, is uh, they see fit that he should be an officer, and he becomes an officer, and he gets his training uh, with some you know low level you know alien adventures, and then uh, you know there is a giant bug that crashes on earth and then most of the movie is them tracking it down and stopping an intergalactic war and the planet earth from being destroyed played by vincent the wonderful vincent d'onofrio ah, oh yes. yeah actually he's he's he's, so he's, he's excellent in this he is movie. very good but yeah i mean yeah so mainly it's just uh uh will smith running around shooting at some aliens and, and being a badass yeah and tommy lee jones and tommy lee jones of course yes yeah. The illustrious. Yeah, I um I I love this movie growing up. I watched it. I probably seen it like well over 2 dozen do- times at this point. Uh, I would have to say the same yeah, as well. Yeah, this I I would agree Family this one favorite. and the second movie too. The second one is actually also excellent. And the second, second one and I even think the third one's pretty the good too. The third one is pretty good. I was a bit lukewarm on it at first, but I've rewatched it a few times yeah. and it's it, it's actually it's a it's a keeper too, I think it's a solid trilogy yeah uh, i only saw it uh once when it came first came out i think it's worth a rewatch and then uh and then yeah they saw fit to end it at a trilogy and all was right with the world well uh yeah right well i mean yeah sure yeah, it's, you could it's, argue that you could call the fourth one a spin-off sorry what a... what fourth one sorry what fourth one? <laughs> i didn't actually watch it i haven't seen it so i know yeah, i i didn't I, i've heard that it's, i've heard that it's bad i heard it was mediocre I... also yeah. I just saw it's like it's like when they made Independence Day 2. I'm sorry, but you can't take a movie that had Will Smith in it and remake it without Will Smith. It doesn't work. He's the entire reason people go to see the movie. Basically. Like isn't it kind of hilarious that that Will Smith made this movie like basically immediately after having made Independence Day? And, like, they're yeah. just two completely different takes on, like, aliens. I mean, yeah, totally I think that's different. probably something he's into. I I heard that Will Smith is a Scientologist, so... No, I, it's, <laughs> uh, he claims to not be one. He, right, right. Yeah. Does he? He claims so. to not be one. Well, that that's a good sign, because I feel like people who are are pretty, usually pretty, um, uh... Uh, vocal <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly pretty yeah. vocal but but they've started being less vocal like there was that one interview that tom cruise did where he's talking about the church of scientology right and then um a while back they just started trying to scrub that video from the internet and uh tom right. cruise doesn't yeah, talk at all about true. the church of scientology anymore. yeah i mean I you think... know the scientologists are already after this podcast so i think right probably, I think, yeah uh, I think yeah we've yeah. mentioned the scientologists i think we've mentioned episode. scientology <laughs> They're gonna, they're gonna be coming after you. So should we just let's just let's just get started. Um, right. Let's just talk about some basic details. Uh, the Men in Black came out in 1997. Um, Felix, you were mentioning earlier, it got a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, and you were a bit upset with that. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a um, that's a bit of a low blow for my boy, the Men in Black, and my boy Will Smith. I mean, I, I think I think it deserves um, a better rating. I mean, a seven a 7.3 was it? Yeah. 7.3 on IMDb is, like, pretty good. I don't know. Yeah. I like, mean... Like, 
I think that this movie deserves a seven point three, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like you know saying oh this 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 movie's got to be a nine. At least. No, I, I I tend to find that IMDb ratings tend to be a bit uh, a bit messed uh, though. They're, they're they're they kind of skew towards certain things, which I, I oh I yeah think... no IMDb like definitely it definitely tends to skew towards a certain thing. Yeah, and also just like pop culture things like think still yeah. like game of thrones has a an excellent rating on imdb yeah but yeah seven point three. Like, don't even life. let me go on my rant about you know why the dark knight should not even be anywhere close to the top of imdb right well also like i think <laughs> i think the beloved cult classic tremors uh with kevin bacon kevin bacon number of zero uh uh, has like lower than a seven on IMDb, which is also ridiculous. But it's like, yeah, that is. That I is think they mis- they're yeah, missing okay. the entire point of the movie. If you, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you can't be given every movie a like a seven, like you know, you can't be given every movie an eight. You know, I'm not really sure what the uh, what the um, like qualifications are. Like, I don't know how they come to that come to that rating. They come to that by it's just it's an aggregate of like users voting on it, right? It's an entirely right. based on like user it's, voting. It's user based, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's so it's literally popular vote. I think this movie is seven What do you guys think? Yeah. No. I at least. Well, I mean, obviously, Felix does. I'd, I'd break it no, into the eight range, maybe an eight point two. Okay. It's got rewatch value, and you know, not not yeah, every not every movie can say that for itself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I watched it twice this week. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't once get on old. VHS. Oh yeah, yeah said, I had it on VHS. VHS copy. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking at the cover here right now. Awesome. My holog is a holographic. Uh, you can't see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Holographic uh, Men in Black. It's I had, awesome. I had I had the same one. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you, are you guys familiar with the with the comic that it's based off of? I'm not. No. Uh, yeah. Um, I haven't actually read it, but I I'm aware of it. Well, we'll get into more detail about about it a little bit later. Okay. I think it's just it's imp- it's important to mention actually that that it was based. Yeah, that it's not an original comic, concept which... entirely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And well, and, and Jake... you, you do not you do not see that actually anywhere on the 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 VHS cover for this. I just no, that that's out. interesting. It no, does it's not mention that. I wonder what the original comic fans think of the movie adaptation. Yeah. How true is it? It does say on it though, two thumbs up. An absolutely hilarious, remarkably clever, and hip, and that is uh, Gene Siskel. Right, right. What does that have to do with the comic? No, I'm just saying what it what, says on what the, box. the what the box says. Uh-oh. It doesn't say that it's oh, you, on a comic. You're just it doesn't say anything about the comic. No, no, they kind of distanced it from from the comic a bit. Because well, it's tone, pretty different from what the I tone, can tell. Yeah, is, yeah. is way different. Um, the way the comic's like serious, and and obviously it's like kind of gritty. Right. Um, I don't know that again, at the we'll time to... uh, Will Smith was particularly beloved by, um, like, you know, nerds and the the comic community. I think he's got universal appeal now, but I think you know, I wouldn't say that at the time though that Will Smith was like particularly gritty either. <laughs> no, but um, again, we'll explore all of this. That wasn't really they from the start of the uh, when the they decided to make the movie. That was never really their plan to make it gritty. I don't think at any point. Yeah. So. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I was watching it uh, the other day, and and I I thought it remarkable. Um, I mean, you, there's obviously quite a bit of CGI that they do, um, but I was actually kind of surprised for a movie from 1997. Like, obviously, it's a little rough in patches, but I thought the animation style held up quite well. 
there's a lot of movies from that era where they started being able to do CGI. And so there'd be these gratuitous like intro sequences that are just meant to show off that they have CGI. Well, yeah. it's these intro and outro sequence in this, in this film in particular, it's like the intro and outro sequence are both these like really intense uh, CGI jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're both like in this movie, at least they're, they're both like actually pretty pertinent to the, uh, to the, to the, yeah, the vibe. Well, I mean, the one thing that I think makes some of the CGI kind of work in this movie is that, like, it's all CGI of things that don't exist in reality. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of it's backed yeah. up. I like CGI that's backed up by practical yeah. effects as well. Um, exactly. And yeah. mix of anyway, we'll get, into, we'll get into all of that in more detail uh, a little bit further on. But um, before all that, I think in order to, to properly discuss everything, I think um, we should explore the subject matter um, in a bit more detail. Um, the Men in Black specifically. Who are the Men in Black? Yeah, is that exactly. Gonna, Who yeah. are yeah the 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 um, anecdotal history, okay, were, and the ufology ufologist history. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah, this is uh. <laughs> like, this is taking we're a not turn. Get, we're not going to get too in, too in detail because <laughs> yeah. I I had to restrain myself. So we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about like the first um first uh traceable uh, encounter. Um, yeah, the the first documented uh encounter of the third kind. Yeah. No. But, I mean, no, it was well, it was an encounter of the third kind. We'll, we'll get it. Just hold on. <laughs> do, do you guys all know what 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 the encounter scales is? Uh, I actually don't. I just know of the Steven Spielberg film. No, no, because there is like there are close encounters of the first, second, and third kind. It's a thing, right? right. What are they supposed to mean um, other than third being alien? It has to do with like what the aliens uh, do. Like, is it an abduction or is it like a uh, a visitation of some kind? Right. But all of the close encounters are alien. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> right. Let me let me just double check. Okay, um, yeah, so a close encounter of the first kind is a visual sighting of an unidentified flying object less than 500 feet away that shows an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. Okay. okay. A close encounter of the second kind is a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. This can be an interference and functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting... A psychological effect such as paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation, or a chemical trace. And a close encounter of the third kind is a UFO encounter in which an animated entity is present. This could include humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be the occupants and or pilots of a UFO. So actually seeing an alien. So yeah, so so it's not it's not actually being in, uh, yeah. So it's uh, the encounters have to do with what you see. So, so what, what if what if a UFO is flying overhead, and like they like drop a bucket of poo of alien poo down? That's not an animated object. That's a, that's of the second. That's kind. of that's the, second the second kind. kind. That's a bit harsh. Yeah. I have I have alien poo right here. Well, it's of course it's the second kind. It's number two. But alien P would still be of the second kind, wouldn't it? But however, if you saw if you saw the alien ship fly by and then in the window you saw one of the aliens uh mooning you, that would be an encounter of the third kind. I suppose kind. that would be a third kind. Yeah. Right. Okay. 
So, but anyway, all the alien encounters we're about to talk about are of the third kind. What if it's a dead alien? I... I think that's second. I suppose kind. that would be the second kind because it's not animated. <laughs> yeah, animated is specific. Yeah. Anyway, back to the the, the men in back specifically. There's also um, apparently a fourth kind and a fifth kind. Whose oh, scale yeah. is this? I don't know. Like, do we trust this? This is the this is the Hynek scale. A close encounter of the fourth kind is an event in which a human is abducted by a UFO or its occupants. No, I mean, whose scale is this? Who's wrote? Like, what does the scale come from? Who? It's the Hynek scale from. Uh, UFO researcher J. Allen Hynek. I see. Ah. Uh, I don't know enough about ufology to uh, to know whether or not he's an authority or not. Well, I mean, the the fact that I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess uh, I shouldn't go off Steven Spielberg making a movie with it in the title as it being like <laughs> yeah, necessarily that that me- well accepted. Well, it's canon ufology. now, so. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'd have to talk to a ufologist. They're yeah. like that movie is totally disrespectful. Yeah, we hate that movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a mockery of all that we stand for and our hard uh, scientific exactly. work. Yeah. All right. So, um, so the Men in Black. Yes. So, <laughs> so the Men in so, Black. So, so the movie or uh, even the comic book were in no way, obviously, the first cultural references to the Men in Black organization. Uh, they're referenced frequently and they're referenced consistently throughout the history of ufology or ufology, however you want to pronounce it. Definitely uh, ufology. Back. Okay, I'll call it ufology <laughs> from now on because I, I promise you, you're going to be hearing that a few more times. Um, it's been uh, referenced frequently and consistently throughout the history of ufology dating back to the 1950s. Um, throughout these encounters, the men in black are described as mysterious men dressed in all black who appear after or in conjunction with the alien activity or sightings. Mm. Um, yeah. And people who, um, people who report such encounters often describe the men in black as being pushy or like aggressive and often uh, bullying or intimidating people with the goal of suppressing information about UFOs uh, yeah. or other alien activity uh, and discouraging people from looking into it any farther. Uh, sound like some real pieces of work. They, yeah. they do. And speaking of pieces of work, they're also often associated with the American government. Uh-oh. Um, Fuck the feds. <laughs> <laughs> As if they're like a secret branch of the government. Um, and, of course, we were just talking about in the movie, they indicate that they're a private organization separate from the government. Um at this point. Or that they don't answer to the government, at least. Because the government asks too many questions, exactly. as Tommy Lee Jones puts it. Um, the legend of the Men in Black uh, can be traced back to a man named Albert Bender. He was very much like a, a, a quasi-nerd. Uh, I sent you a picture of him. You, kinda, you can tell just Yeah, he, he's him. definitely a very nerdy-looking dude. So in 1952, uh, Albert Bender... Um, founded one of the first um, extraterrestrial UFO civilian study organizations um, in the world called, uh, what was it called? It's called the, the International Flying Saucer Bureau, or IFSB for short. So, like, they don't, they don't deal with, like, uh, alien uh, spaceships that are not flying saucers. <laughs> like, if it's a battle <laughs> cruiser, so. they're like, that's not in our, our purview. <laughs> If it's not a yeah, if it's not a saucer, don't don't bring it to us. Yeah. Um, basically, as I understand it, the bureau consisted of like just a bunch of UFO nerds who corresponded with one another through mail and uh, CV radio, 
and, and a- apparently engaged in telepathic activities. <laughs> yeah, and engaged in constant uh, telepathic activity. It sounds like they're aliens. Um, <laughs> does a little. It's bit. a double conspiracy. Yeah. Well, you gotta in order to catch an alien, you gotta think like an alien. Yeah, that's right. exactly. Um, they also published a, a a monthly like newsletter called Space Review, which was just uh, you know uh, all their new findings and research and whatever. But uh, at its peak, the uh, the Flying Saucer Bureau had like fifteen hundred international members, which is you know it's not bad. It's not bad, but you yeah, know, it's... in 1952, you know, before the internet. I mean, how how international could it really be in 1952? That's a good question. I mean, you know, see. Well, they mentioned. Uh, I think they had members in Canada and New Zealand and Australia as well. Yeah, as well as the United States. Mm-hmm. I guess that's. I guess it would take a really long time to send a letter, so the telepathic communication probably helps speed things up a lot. <laughs> I, I don't think they communicated with each other telepathically. The, it was to contact the yeah. aliens. Oh, I thought it was to each other. No, 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 no. no, no. Oh. And this is all like this is all like weird shit because it's all pre-Sputnik, right? So it's like uh, not really even remotely mainstream, right? Yeah, yeah. So these are just kind of a bunch of weird nerds doing a bunch of weird nerd stuff, right? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> in, in 1953. So just a year after he started this bureau, um, he Bender uh, mysteriously shut it down on uh, short notice, and he 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 relayed this message in in the uh, in the final issue. Um, the message read: "Statement of importance: The mystery of the flying saucers is no longer a mystery. The source is already known, but any information about this is being withheld by the." order from a higher source. We would like to print the full story in Space Review, but because of the nature of the information, we are very sorry that we have been advised in the negative. We advise those engaged in saucer work to please be very cautious. That's ominous. Yeah. <laughs> so ominous. But he got a visit I, from I guess the they, they black. hadn't developed the neuralizer yet, because uh, otherwise they would have just, yeah, just done away with that pretty pretty just quickly. Popped yeah. Him, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe, it must have come later. Maybe he always wears sunglasses. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, he's not wearing it in the picture that, uh, that we got. Um, so shortly after, like this, like it, it was shut down. Um, Bender gave like a brief interview saying that he was approached by three men dressed in all black who ordered him to stop looking into UFOs. Um, and this is kind of the story that has based so many, like, or has spawned so many Men in Black encounters similar. Yeah, sorry. So, um, he actually had two encounters, right? With yeah. The well, he there was it was a series of of encounters, but yeah. Um, like the the full story, like that the 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 short story is just that he was approached by three men dressed in all black who ordered him to stop looking at UFOs. Yeah. That's the that's the the short story. But what if it was actually encounter... like his like brother in law and his neighbor who were just like pissed off that he kept doing radio shit in his backyard and they're they're just like okay we gotta get this guy to stop somehow what if we dress up and just spook him one time certainly a possibility (laughs) well i mean he did have the whole uh you know interplanetary experience we'll we'll get we'll get there the his his encounter is is far more complex and infinitely more bizarre than than his brief interview would uh would suggest um jake do you want to tell us a little bit about his encounter yeah, so 
basically, so I, I I sort of talked a little bit about them trying to telepathically communicate with the aliens, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so they all decided that uh, that that they to try to get the aliens' attention that they would all you know sync up and try to telepathically link at the same time so that the aliens could like you know zero in on the signal or whatever. Yeah. Well, they and they called it some. Like, they called it. Contact, uh, contact C day or contact something. day or something yeah. like that yeah yeah and um so uh so he sits down on the appointed date and time and he goes to close his eyes and and think think really hard at the aliens think alien uh, thoughts you know <laughs> yeah he thinks alien thoughts they actually they have a message that he was supposed to to say right yeah all the members and... had like a specific message they were supposed to repeat do we know what it is uh yeah we have it um yeah Oh yeah, calling all occupants of interplanetary craft. <laughs> calling all occupants of interplanetary craft that have been observing our planet Earth. We of the IFSB wish to make contact with you. We are your friends, and we would like to make an we would like you to make an appearance here on Earth. Your presence before us will be welcomed with the utmost friendship. We will do all in our power to promote mutual understanding between your people and the people of Earth. Please come in peace and help us in our earthly problems. Give us some sign that you have received our message. Be responsible for creating a miracle here on our planet to wake up the ignorant ones to reality. Let us hear from you. We are your friends. End of message. Oh, jeez. That's a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit dangerous, though. Eh? Like, what if you know, like this is a message of friendship. Oh, we're your friends. Come hang out with us. And then, like the aliens, like get this message, and they come to Earth, and they just get shot to shit by the U.S. military. Because this guy lured well, them under false pretense. Yeah, it's true. Well, according to Al, the aliens heard the message. Ah. <laughs> bah, bah, bah. So, so Al, Al uh, immediately starts smelling some weird smells. He says it smells like sulfur, and uh, and he has a close encounter of the third kind. In fact, the fourth kind. <laughs> ah. <laughs> And he's visited by um, three figures dressed all in black. Uh, yeah, see? But he, yeah. he describes them as looking like preachers. Yeah, and, and like, before, he doesn't, like, describe them initially as being, like, humanoid. They kind of, like, phase into, like, a humanoid shape. At first, they're kind of like this dark mist, almost, that kind of just, like... Okay, and are these just, they just randomly appear before him? Yeah, right after, yeah, right, I think it was right after he, like, he sent his message. telepathic okay. message. He, he started yeah. feeling, like, really weird. Huh. And so in this version, in the, the men in black are actually aliens, not uh, government agents. It seems yeah. so. It well, it would appear so. so. Well, they're aliens disguised in humans, disguised as humans because they stole their bodies to disguise themselves. Ah, okay. So, so the, uh, uh, yeah. So the aliens do not seem completely benevolent in this. No, they're like they are. They are. They are stealing the water from. Not stealing it. They're borrowing yeah. water from the ocean. Well, there's like, yeah, there's like some nondescript chemical in the water or element yeah, in the water they that they're like harvesting. Okay. Yeah. But so wait, have they been doing that the whole time or is this just one? Yeah, they've they... been doing this the whole time. Okay. And they tell them as much or? Yeah, they tell them this. And they're yeah, like, there's like, we're telling you this because we don't think you're going to tell anybody because everybody's going to think you're crazy. <laughs> 
And it's like, so why bother telling him in the first place? I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> that's really like that's depressing. like the, that's the cl- uh, famous supervillain. Oh well, I'm just gonna kill you, so I might as well tell you my entire evil yeah, plan. Exactly, because <laughs> you'll never be able to foil it. <laughs> so, but they actually say that they have operatives placed in the government, like at the Pentagon, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, he has like Albert uh, Bender has this like weird experience where they like they like give him uh, like a piece like a ball bearing basically that he uses as like a, a, a telepathic connector device, and they like. He has an out-of-body experience or something where he goes to their ship mm. and they show him, like, like uh, on a video screen, like, a video screen, quote-unquote, um, of, like, I don't know, the the aliens that have been placed in the Pentagon and shit. Uh. Oh. And, and, oh, and they, yeah, he shows them, uh, they show him their, like, true forms and he's, like, horrified by them. Right. So they're not. And then friends. obviously the aliens were like, "Well, we, when we first saw you guys, we were pretty horrified." Of you. <laughs> yeah, he mentions that as well. <laughs> actually, <laughs> they, they actually say you're... that. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do. It's pretty funny, or at least according to Al Bender, that's what the right. aliens said. Right. Oh, that's too bad for our buddy Al. He was really looking forward to them being friendly. Yeah, it's honestly super depressing because he was like started out so like starry eyed. <laughs> yeah. Um and like you know naive and he's just trying to you know make contact with aliens and then they contact him and they're like stop fucking trying to contact us and then everyone no one believes him obviously and everyone else in the bureau the is like urging him not to to publish this story because they all think he's just making it up or crazy right yeah Um, and then he's gonna ruin the reputation this stellar reputation of the international uh flying saucers bureau yeah he even (laughs) describes like an instance where his like best friend calls him up and um and his best friend is like essentially like shuts him down and is like don't don't do this and he's like feels yeah. so betrayed it's, it's actually really depressing i mean needless to say he published the story anyway because yeah we read eventually it. Oh, okay <laughs> right so that's the end of his story does he doesn't that's the end of his story but that crucially we we see the genesis of the men in black right yes. who are actually aliens they are actually yeah, that's, aliens, that's, although they, they are manipulating the government. Yeah, that's the main takeaway from the encounter, is that... that and if you dive deeper into the world of ufology, um, I believe it's a more more common theory uh, that, that the Men in Black are, in fact, aliens themselves. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of more sense to me. Yeah, trying to cover up their own actions. Than the U.S. government trying to cover up the aliens for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Because they can't handle um, it. Yeah, it is well, slightly. I, I, I somehow actually doubt that the U.S. government would be able to properly contain that. No, no, definitely would not be able to. Like, if the aliens didn't care about getting discovered, then the alien, like, <laughs> the U.S. Yeah, government no... wouldn't be able to stop everybody from fighting about aliens. Yeah, no. No but I guess they didn't, because Al knows about That's it. That's true. Al told us the truth. Honestly, yeah. so much of his uh, ex- his like encounter, the way he describes it, sounds like he had like uh, carbon monoxide poisoning or something. Yeah, ghastly. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, he, he goes be. into these like stupors where well, he feels like lightheaded and nauseous, and then he like hallucinates for a while, and like stuff disappears when he puts it in in like cupboards and stuff. And like these are all symptoms of like mono- carbon monoxide right. poisoning. However, carbon monoxide yeah. is odorless. either that or like somebody's gaslighting him. Yeah. 
Could be another gas, though, because carbon monoxide is supposed to be odorless, so if it smelled like sulfur all the time... Yeah, well, natural gas, whatever, smells like sulfur, doesn't it? I think they add that so that you can smell it when there's a leak. Uh, Would they have added it in 1952? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably. Um... So now that we that's out of the way, I thought right. it was right. fun to explore that. So that's how we, we get the idea of Men in Black. Right. The but, Men in Black. Yeah, the, but the we, concept. Won't, we won't be talking anymore really about about the alien theory of the Men in Black. Um, it's the slightly more tame human organization version of the Men in Black right. um, that we're going to be talking about and was the basis for the comic book. The comic book uh-huh. um, was written by a man named Lowell Cunningham. Um, and we had this discussion earlier. You guys didn't agree with me as much, but uh, I thought he looked a lot like the love child of Chris Farley and John Oliver. Um, no, I can see it. I can, I can never see that. He certainly, there's a, there's there's there is a resemblance for sure. Yeah. Um, like they, when you put the two pictures together, I can definitely see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, individually, not <laughs> at all. There's nothing. Anyway, um, <laughs> Lowell Cunningham, uh, a lot like Albert Bender. Um, was predictably uh, a huge nerd. Nerd. He was, um, yeah, huge nerd. He was obsessed with comic books um, from a young age. Um, he said in an interview at some point he had like his comic book collection was like three thousand large. I don't know if that's a big by like comic book. Um, I don't standards. know. I mean, I it, think it that's sounds big to me. It sounds it's like a big lot. enough to definitely be considered a comic collector. Right. Yeah, like that's Which a lot. Al- like, already yeah. is pretty high nerd status. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um but he, yeah, he grew up on TV shows and movies like Star Trek, uh The Man from Uncle. Although which... also I just, as far as we know, uh Lowell Cunningham is not a conspiracy theorist. Oh, okay. As far as we know, yeah. Yeah, just cuz you you could you said he was like Al. No, right. no, right. I just meant the fact that he was a huge nerd, yeah. Um, okay just just to be clear no yeah as far as i know he didn't have he, he hasn't had any alien experiences that he's okay. talked about In, unless he hasn't told anyone yeah um yeah yeah so he grew up uh, on tv shows and movies star trek man from uncle voyage to the bottom of the sea and uh kolchak the night stalker which um is a great show i just included a picture of it because uh, i don't know if you guys have seen it but it's i haven't actually I've, seen it i've but never I've heard of this been meaning to to check it out I think you'd really like it, Felix. The star Darren McGavin. Yeah. It's, it's really good. Okay. Um, yeah. Anything but, subtitled "The Night Stalker" is is bound I, to be good. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a, kind of like a paranormal cop show, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah. It's so, like it's so like the X Files. X Files. Yeah, it's like pre X Files. X Files. Yeah, exactly. Proto X. I mean, as as you probably know from listening to this podcast, I like the X Files. Oh, what? Like really? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> so you coming really um, off guard there yeah exactly yeah so prior to writing uh men in black cunningham uh, made his living working in the circulation department of the library um another kind of nerd status thing um definitely mostly just reshelved books but from what i said i'm sure he what... read some comic books while he was there yeah yeah pretty much he he he's yeah he described it he seemed to love it maybe that's maybe yeah, that was his, seems like a decent job could be good but also like that 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 maybe that was his fix for he ran out of money to collect books so he was like you know he i'm sure he had some influence with the uh library uh ordering catalog he's like hey we should order in these new comic books they're all the rage with the kids you know we want to get them into the store and then he would just read them himself get the get the that's library smart. to pay for his collection right. or his reading habit at least 
No, Maybe. I think he, he would be the kind of guy who would want to own it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Copy. But like, I mean, if you have three thousand comic books, like, you don't keep them around unless you like are collecting. Yeah, yeah. hardcore. Um. So yeah, he first heard the the stories about the Men in Black, um, from a friend of his when they made like some passing comment about a big black car looking like something the Men in Black would drive, um. And Cunningham was fa- fascinated, and he, like, you know, gouged as much information as he could from this guy who, like, was kind of a, a, a ufologist. Not, a, not an ufologist, no, but, like, an a enthusiast. An enthusiast. Uh, oh, a UFO enthusiast. Um, okay, so he regaled yeah. him of a bunch of Men in Black stories. Um, and Cunningham was like, this would be a great TV show. Um, so, but, so but, but Cunningham heard the version where they are government agents and not aliens? I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think didn't quite go either that, that or deep. he worked it into whatever version he wanted when he made his comic book. Yeah, and the 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 aliens as the Men in Black is a pretty deep ufology uh, cut. Yeah. I think. Right. Um, but yeah, he thought it would make a great TV show. But since he was obviously not involved in that business whatsoever, he was like, maybe it would be a bit easier to break into the comic book industry. Right. Um. But he shopped the idea around for several years. Eventually, he brought it to an independent comic book company called Malibu Comics um, in 1990. And Malibu Comics would be acquired by Marvel in 1994. Oh, okay. Um, but this is before that. They were still an independent, totally independent uh, publisher. Operation, yeah. Yeah. Um, and only a week after introducing them to the concept, he had made a deal for six issues. And I think they did a couple runs after that okay um but yeah to make the to make the comic this is just a, uh, my my favorite detail about the comic as a uh, cunningham teamed up with a canadian artist named sandy crothers um who studied illustration right here in toronto nice. at seneca nice. yeah and Excellent. uh he cre- <laughs> it's good stuff so he the men in black is the... can gone is what you're telling me yes uh i guess it do they have can gone for books they have CanCon uh, for everything, don't they? Okay, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, but just a little side factoid. Sandy Carruthers created his own superhero, uh, a Canadian-themed superhero named Canadiana. Oh. Um, I, I, yeah. That's a... Yeah. <laughs> oof. Some serious exploitation here. <laughs> it's really weird because she's not even really dressed like a superhero. She's just like wearing a sweater with a maple leaf. She's just it. wearing like a, a, a like a Canada flag leather jacket. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty sick jacket, but I mean, like, not exactly like a hero. Kind yeah, it doesn't of your mean, average hero it thing. Gives yeah. you negative mobility. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't really figure out uh, what her superpowers were. She looks like she flies in the picture. But, I mean, that's pretty much a given. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they released it. I don't I don't think it was very popular. Um, I think it got... Men in Black, not Canadian. Men in Black. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think it was very successful. It eventually went out of print, and not much else came of it. Um, and that was, you know, only a couple of years. It was published first in 1990, and by 1992, it was out of print. Okay. Um, but in 1992, the film rights uh, were bought by production power couple Walter Parks and uh, Laurie McDonald. They did movies like uh, 
they did the whole Men in Black franchise, obviously. They did uh, War Games. They did um, Sweeney Todd, Gladiator, Minority no. Report. Wow. Okay, yeah. So, um, so they, some big names. Some serious shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've done a lot of stuff. But also just Surprised like in I haven't terms heard of like, them. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you've read their names. Uh, like, that's the thing about like uh producers like especially they do a lot with steven spielberg because i see a lot of uh yeah well that we'll get (laughs) i'll get to that it's kind of weird it's kind his involvement is kind of bizarre um uh but some of the films you can kind of see like that um the producers worked on before kind of have like the right the similar kind of like if you combine them they have the right vibe for for men in black you know you got well i wouldn't say gladiator but no, 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 no. That like I'd leave that one out of the list, yeah, but you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah exactly. Legend of Zorro mixed with a Le- uh, series of unfortunate events mixed with yeah, Minority yeah. Report. You know, it's all the themes there. The Terminal. Yeah, that's that's an under un- underrated movie. But apparently, um, after in 1992, um, after they bought the rights from Cunningham, um, according to him, this is where his involvement ended period like he was done with the project um he was not included in the script um or the making of any films after it um and as i understand it jake you have a few qualms about how much cunningham no i mean it's it's kind of hard to tell but like it seems like he got uh he got kind of cut out from like the amount of money i think he should have possibly made off this whole Thing, did right? he sell his ip to the company when he sold the uh comic books is that the idea or yeah, yeah. i think that's it so, so like, but the idea the is film rights to the to the idea of the yeah I, I understand why he would have done that because i obviously i can't imagine him thinking like oh they're gonna make three maybe four movies out of this yeah right. yeah but so, like he, he he got like a fair chunk of change he said he got a, a six figure uh six figure uh check from that okay. and uh he lived off of that for several years so i mean that's that's pretty good i, for, I like, thought you were saying he had totally sold all of his ip when when they when it went out of print so that's good that he at least got something but yeah, yeah. so he got a, a fairly good uh chunk of change out of that but considering uh, how much money they made i still do all. think like um considering how much money the whole franchise has made like yeah we'll get into it's that really later, not even but... close right <laughs> like, but, yeah. yeah it's like it, i think because the way he talks about it, it seems like he's okay with yeah with what happened, but he definitely he knows he got screwed. Exactly. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows yeah. he could have made way more money out of it had but he like, like probably not sold the whole thing all at once. Yeah, and I mean like that's it's cutthroat, right? You know, he he sold yeah. the film rights in 1992. It was, but I mean, like, he he definitely wasn't in a position in 1992 to like even think like yeah, know, exactly. they're not they're gonna make three movies out of this, right? Four yeah. movies. Out of yeah, this. yeah, yeah. And um, a cartoon. Yeah, and a cartoon, an animated series. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, after the purchase of the rights to the film, uh, we, we're not going to see Cunningham ever again. Uh, they oh, hired, that's it, he's done. They hired uh, Ed Solomon uh, to write the script. And Ed Solomon, you can start to see what kind of vibe they wanted the movie to be because he was known for writing uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and the sequel. Um to that he also he also wrote uh super mario bros the movie the live action one <laughs> yeah the live action so one. Bad. yeah and then later he did uh, charlie's angels movie, yeah. charlie's angels great film yeah the original script was apparently quite dark and faithful uh to the original tone of the comic um 
but as I mentioned earlier, that's not really the vibe that the producers were were interested. They kind of wanted a director who could turn it into a more lighthearted blockbuster film, and they wanted comedy elements as well. Um, yeah. So they thought. Well, of, I think they definitely got uh, the comedy. Definitely got that. Oh, they nailed it! A film is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. Also, I feel like you know, like they chose the right actors to bring their own brand of comedy to it. Yeah. yeah, the casting really, in in retrospect, is kind of what makes it in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's although like... originally didn't they plan on casting uh, uh, Clint Eastwood instead of Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah, yeah, Ooh, which is a weird choice. I don't think it would have been nearly as good. No, yeah, there's no, some. There's another really weird choice that uh, I'll save for a little bit later. But okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. needless to say, it could have been a very different movie. Yeah, well, also, I mean, um, could, like, it's hard to even imagine the men in black franchise without uh um will smith in it you know what i mean like it just yeah well wouldn't yeah. really have made yeah. any sense also i mean the second movie kind of i mean I, I don't know if you guys were gonna bring this up but it it kind of in my opinion got got saved accidentally because i mean not that she was bad but um uh i think what's her name uh, Linda Fiorentino, who is the female interest, uh, the main female character yeah. in the film, she was meant to take over for Tommy Lee Jones in the second film, and through some uh, turn of events, her basically career evaporated overnight, and she just basically retired between the time of the second, the first film and the second film, and so they just brought Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> back, but he wasn't supposed to be in the second film at all, uh, you know, yeah. at the time. I didn't the first actually film know that. Came. That's bizarre. Why did her career evaporate? I don't know. It's it's really. I was kind of reading a little bit about it, and it's just like from one day to the next, she just stopped getting any amount of calls. And there's kind of it's an interesting thing, actually. She's a bit of a, a mysterious character. Um, yeah, I, I read a little bit about her. They don't. Uh, yeah, I, I read her birth date is actually disputed between multiple sources, yeah. like two years, <laughs> which is also very random. Um, but yeah, that's I think quite bizarre. she may also have some ties to the mafia. Yes, that's. I also yeah. She was <laughs> what? Yeah, she <laughs> has some ties to the mafia, but also she was at the same time dating the mafioso and the FBI agent who was trying to bring him down. I think she was doing some misinformation Holy or something shit. like that. Anyway, I think she kind of walked out of it, but it seemed like it's a little bit of a sketchy business to be involved in. <laughs> Wow, I, regret... I don't know. Maybe she's a real life man in black. I yeah, maybe. I regret <laughs> not reading more into her. I kind of that, that could have been a huge topic. <laughs> yeah, um, that's bizarre. Apparently, she said that she was secretly dating um, the, um, I guess the mob boss because uh, it's, it's not a mob boss. It's she a, was, uh, uh, sorry, the private eye, uh, pi. Yeah. Uh, so she was. Uh, she was researching a screenplay based on the case, allegedly. Yeah, so in 2009, former FBI agent Mark Rossini pleaded guilty to illegally accessing FBI computers during the prosecution of L.A. P.I. Anthony Pelicano. Law enforcement officials said Fiorentino previously had had a relationship with Pelicano and wanted to assist his defense. According to prosecutors, Fiorentino was now dating... Rossini, the FBI agent, and told him she was researching a screenplay based on the case. He conducted searches of government computers for information related to the Pelicano case and passed the results to Fiorentino. 
who then handed the files over to Pelicano's lawyers in a failed effort to help Pelicano avoid a 15-year prison yeah, sentence. There's some possibly sketchy things Holy going on. I'm surprised shit. she didn't get arrested for that, honestly. Yeah, but also, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the reason is probably because of the, like, that the FBI agent, that is, like, wildly uh Yeah, so she basically, she, like, catfished an FBI agent to, like, help her ex-boyfriend under That's false crazy. pretense. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? Two thousand nine, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, needless to say, she was probably involved in some things other than film. But I think that was that past shady. the point. So, where her career disappeared. But, um, right. Yeah. So her last, she was in a ton of films uh, up until basically two thousand, and then her career basically totally disappeared, and she only had two appearances that were in direct to video um films products uh and that was it she was she just didn't get cast i don't know how much of that was active yes. retirement or how much of it was i think there was it yeah. said there was some project she was tied to as we're supposed to be in but then the uh the yeah, project like fell Tom apart Fontaine. at the last minute yeah that is bizarre Anyway, but we got Tommy Lee Jones back for the second film. Is the <laughs> we yeah, did, yeah. Uh, he's so, definitely result. better that he's there. Yeah, yeah. Not that she's bad. I think he's very and good. And then he film, was, but... yeah. No, she was good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Tommy Lee Jones was in like the third movie for like five seconds. Right. Yeah. I also find it yeah. kind of uh, interesting. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the whole you know, um, uh, Men in Black. Uh, welcome to the last suit you'll ever wear and then in the final yeah. sequence He's wearing where a different it's suit where um uh tommy lee jones retires and it's him and this woman neither of them are wearing those suits they're just totally yeah, wearing suits that, of their that, own design and i'm like well okay that scene bothers me so much i hate will smith's suit in that scene so much <laughs> of, i mean i don't mind it but just because it's not the it's same not, not the same suit it just makes yeah, no yeah. sense continuity it's just such a also bad you would think that the suit. men in black you know you'd think that maybe not wearing the same black suit all the time in ray-bans would be like less conspicuous yeah maybe yeah well that's a little bit of a <laughs> but also from their perspective like jay is still a junior agent right like why does he all of a sudden get this exception yeah it is a bit of a it is a bit of a plot hole as well yeah, yeah also um, why didn't they reassign agent jay to like work with another another agent yeah how come he gets like, trusted he's to only, train he her only on the job for two days <laughs> yeah and that he's all of a sudden <laughs> training a new agent yeah all these plot holes come down to like last minute script changes that we'll get into a little right. bit more. Yeah, but then they basically cut her out of the movie. Yeah, the it was it was a totally episode. random thing that they just decided to have yeah. her be an agent. Um, yeah, and like, well, apparently that was their plan because the, did they plan on making a second movie? Yeah, I think they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, think, they did, yeah. I think that was yeah. Yeah, yeah, because the second movie was made like shortly afterwards. Five well, years. It was made. Uh, yeah, two thousand. Oh, five. Jeez, I I guess that's like not that's not longer immediate. than that seems. Yeah. 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 Which is surprising, considering um, it was so successful that they took so long to make a second one. Yeah, there well, yeah, and then they took even longer to make a third one. That's true. Yeah, they kind of took their sweet time. Um, well, uh, Will Smith's perfectionist. So having so you said Marvel bought the rights to the um, comic book series. So does that mean that uh, they own the rights to the film franchise as well? 
No, uh, presumably, the no. film rights were already sold. Uh, right? Okay. Yeah, that's it's it's bizarre. The the rights are all separate, and film rights were owned by Columbia, I believe. It could have been interesting so, if uh, Marvel it, it, was involved in the film rights. Yeah, I think I think Sony is the parent company that ultimately owns the rights. Right. The rights currently to to Men in Black, Black. yeah, Sony. Right. Okay. May I ask why you felt little Tiffany deserved to die? Well, she was the only one that actually seemed dangerous at the time, sir. How'd you come to that conclusion? Well, first I was going to pop this guy hanging from the street light, and then I realized, you know, he's just working out. And how would I feel somebody come running in a gym, bust me in my ass while I'm on a treadmill? Then I saw this uh, snarling beast guy, and I noticed he had a tissue in his hand. I realized, you know, he's not snarling. He's sneezing. You know, ain't no real threat there. Then I saw little Tiffany. I'm thinking, you know, eight-year-old white girl, middle of the ghetto, bunch of monsters, this time of night with quantum physics books. She about to start some shit, Zed. She's about eight years old. Those books are way too advanced for her. If you ask me, I say she's up to something. And to be honest, I'd appreciate it if you eased up off my back about it. Or do I owe her an apology? So as I was mentioning, the the original script was uh, was quite dark and faithful to the tone of the of the comic, um, but they wanted they wanted it to be a little more lighthearted, um, blockbuster uh, with comedy elements. So they looked at director Barry Sonnenfeld, um, who'd achieved this. Is it Sonnenfeld or Sonnenfeld? Sonnenfeld, sorry. Yeah. Sonnenfeld. Um, Barry Sonnenfeld, um, who had achieved this uh, six years prior when he made The Addams Family. And I think that was the film they were looking at specifically. Oh, it's a great movie, um, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they it's the same idea. It's kind of like dark um, tones, but... Uh, you know, yeah, projected yeah, yeah. in like a more lighthearted kind of way. Right. So yeah, they wanted Barry Sonnenfeld, um, but because it was so, it took them so long to like start production because like, as we said, they had the rights in 1992, but the film wasn't released until 1997. Um, so by the time they were actually like ready to shoot, Sonnenfeld was uh, busy with another project. Um, so they hired director les mayfield briefly um i think because they saw his remake of miracle or no because they didn't see his remake on of miracle on 34th street they heard it was good they watched it or they they heard it was good they hired him um and then they watched it and then they fired him wait what really (laughs) They didn't watch the fucking movie before they hired him? That's allegedly. That's what the book I was reading says happened. (laughs) Okay. Um, That's pretty funny. It's just so dumb. Yeah, so they were still without a director, but uh, Sonnenfeld was still very interested in the project. He he tells a story uh, um, in which he ran into the head of production of Sony, um, Brian Johnson, at a restaurant in L.A., and uh, Brian Johnson was at this restaurant having dinner with Uma Thurman, apparently. Um, okay. And Sonnenfeld approached Johnson. What year was this? It would have been like 1995. Okay. Four or five. Um, and yeah, he approached Johnson and told him that he was still very much inter- interested in doing Men in Black if they would just wait until he was done working on Get Shorty, which was the film he was working on at the time. Right. Um. And to, to continue the theme of uh, script changes, um, he says when he came on board, the biggest change he made to the movie was to consolidate the setting. 
Um, so originally the film was to be set in like various cities uh, across the U.S., like uh, okay. Washington oh, okay. and, and Nevada and et cetera. Um, but Sonnenfeld, it was like kind of adamant that the plot would be better if it was contained in uh, in Manhattan or New York. Yeah, actually, I think it's funny because there are actually several times on the uh, in the movie when they 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 keep things in Manhattan. Like yeah. they're like, oh, he's leaving the island. No, we got to keep him on the island. Yeah, right. it's definitely a theme. <laughs> well, kind of, well, although they go to Queens, which is not technically on the island. Manhattan. But I do think it's kind of like uh, uh, an interesting kind of like concept that like the this agency would basically try and keep all the aliens in one spot they're like okay you can be a refugee on our planet but like don't go too far we want to kind of have everybody in the same area so that we can keep better tabs on you yeah well i like i like how agent k put it where he was like you ever seen casablanca it's like that but with with no nazis well they're not they're not like they're not necessarily containing them containing them in manhattan they just they just get no, like, but visas they, where they're not yeah. allowed to leave manhattan but you could they're yeah. theoretically they're allowed to go anywhere right but yeah they have to get like permission yeah yeah um so at some point as you mentioned earlier jake and i said it was kind of not clear um but at some point definitely prior to casting uh steven spielberg uh signed on as executive producer yeah um and i don't like he's not with lifted listed on like the wikipedia page or even the imdb page but you know you can clearly see his influence um and i think we can... he's on the vhs cover oh really yeah well you want to you want to well, advertise that right <laughs> yeah you'd think exactly well no he's not on the front he's on the back in like all the small print it's weird you'd think you'd want to put his name as big as possible I mean, he's executive producer, like yeah. whatever that means. Like, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about later when we talk about the um, the special effects. Um, when we t- yeah, that, that I think that's where most of his influence was. Um, right, because obviously he has a lot of experience with the yeah um, movies like that. But he was. I mean, I'm sure he brought his uh, experience from Jurassic Park over. Exactly. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of. Uh, stuff in this movie that was done in a similar way yeah i think i think that is why he was asked to be a part of it initially is because of that like his work like filming with uh like animatronics and prosthetics and etc and the cgi as well cgi yeah yeah um but apparently spielberg was also like um integral for signing up tommy lee jones um because as you yeah, well, because as you mentioned, Clint Eastwood was considered, uh, but he passed. Which I think is an odd choice, but I, I mean, agree. I see, I can see the similarities between them, but it's like, I do not think that uh, that Clint Eastwood could have had like the the comic parts. No, no, he would have. Yeah, he would have been way too much of a straight man. I exactly. Think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, he luckily for us, he Clint Eastwood passed on the role. Um, and Tommy Lee Jones also hated the script and said that it stank, quote unquote, stank, <laughs> and was like ready to pass on the project. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't read it. Oh, Maybe yeah, it who knows? Stink. Maybe it would stink. This is the original dark <laughs> script. Yeah. Well, this is like an early prototype of the script. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. This is probably after like three or four drafts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he was convinced to commit to the project by Spielberg, who promised they would fix the script. So that's why Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, signed mm-hmm. on 
I guess that's one thing that an executive producer does. It's like, you know, it, they help get other people on board. Sure, yeah. yeah. And I guess if Steven Spielberg says he's going to fix something, that carries some weight. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. If he promises you that he's going to fix it. Yeah. Well, what did Tommy Jones win Oscar for? Was it Coal Miner's Daughter? No. no what was no. it? Let's see. Um... Uh, the Fugitive. Fugitive, yeah, the Fugitive. Oh, right. Dope okay, film. yeah, yeah. Good movie. Great movie. I've never yeah. seen it actually. Oh, you should, oh, you should watch it. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Uh, oh yeah. You know. Yeah. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Um, but yeah, after that, Will Will Smith was cast. Um, before the release of Bad Boys and Independence Day, so that actually had no bearing on him being hired. Yeah, I. It, it is. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting that that he did these two movies back to back. Just yeah, the the inverse tones. <laughs> and and actually, we'll also talk about this a little bit later when we get into the special effects. But uh, this movie was affected by the release of Independence Day. Was it? Oh, really? Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, because... Uh... <laughs> well, we'll get into that, I guess. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning earlier... Oh, I'm sorry. I was mentioning earlier um, that there was another very bizarre casting decision that was almost made um, for Jay. But... Instead okay. of Will Smith. So imagine... Had, okay, so just just close your eyes for a second. Okay, close. And imagine... I'm closing my eyes. I'm telepathically linking with the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's 1997. You're watching the film The Men in Black. It's up on the big screen. Uh, the older straight man is played by Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and he's very straight, very serious. Yes. Jay, the up-and-coming uh, NYPD uh, detective, is played by none other than David Schwimmer. Oh, what? No. Oh, <laughs> what? oh, God. <laughs> What even is that? That would have been so just imagine, bad. Just uh, imagine that movie. <laughs> like I don't, really, I don't. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's so bad. I don't really understand how David Schwimmer got so big. Like he's. Was he even really that big? Like at the like I mean he did. He, he basically did one thing. Yeah, but he was mega then, famous yeah, he did for friends. doing it. Yeah, and, but and he, he, he wasn't all that, anything else really. No. He made all that money from Madagascar, so he right. didn't have to do anything. Yeah, but yeah. then he was in that he was in that OJ um, miniseries. Apparently, he was pretty good in that as OJ's lawyer, right? Kardashian or whatever. Yeah, no, that would have been awful though. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been, been bizarre. Yeah. Now, just hold that in your mind for a second. I, I don't just want we, to. As, I want to purge it. As, as we move on <laughs> to the next section, just keep that thought it, in your it, head. It, was Rip Torn originally supposed to be somebody else too? No, 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 nothing like that. Um, I was just thinking we'll move on to the we'll move on to the music and talk a little bit about Danny Elfman. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because Danny Elfman, uh, prior to making this, had made several movies with Tim Burton. Well, yeah, the Batman's uh, is what I normally the Batman's think of. Uh, Edward Scissorhands, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh yeah, um, bunch of stuff. So I was yeah, thinking, yeah. imagine if imagine if Tim Burton made men in directed black. this movie yeah imagine a tim burton men in black starring clint eastwood and david I schwimmer i can't i don't think it would start no 
I think Tim Burton would change that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it would be Johnny Depp. <laughs> yeah, Johnny oh. Depp. <laughs> Johnny Depp is Agent yeah. K. Yeah. Could be good, I could see yeah. that. <laughs> Who's Agent K? Uh, uh, in the Tim Burton version, I don't know. In the Tim Burton uh, version, yeah. Well, we know who plays um, the woman. Helena Bonham Carter? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, also Danny Elfman, um, uh, he also did the... In 1996, just the year before, he did the soundtrack for Mars Attacks. So you know, um, the, another alien movie. He was yeah in, an, in a pretty. These guys pretty are just alien. setting themselves up for just disaster, conspiracy theory wise. Eh? What? what I mean? Well, I, I mean, I, I personally think it's not out of the limits of possibility that Danny Elfman is an alien. <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, no. Totally. But just that yeah, everybody he, involved yeah. is like involved in like three other things about aliens. Like, <laughs> oh, you're just <laughs> yeah. you're just feeding the fire. It is true. Yeah. It is true. How much do you know about about the um the song, the Men in Black song? I know it was the first uh, the first uh, solo uh, Will Smith thing without DJ Jazzy Jeff. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. DJ Jazzy Jeff, I think, got a little bit of uh, a little bit shafted. You know, he got to be on uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air as a recurring guest. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think that's pretty got, good. I think he got his money's worth. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, Will Smith does shout out DJ Jazzy Jeff in another movie uh, soundtrack, Wild Wild West. Is it Wild Wild? Yeah. So Wild I guess Wild that that's, that's <laughs> DJ Jazzy Jeff. Is DJ Jazzy Jeff in Wild Wild West? I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. Um, uh, but uh, back to Men in Black, didn't it win a Grammy? It did. So that's a thing. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which I mean, it the is song. it is a the good song. song. Won a Grammy. I think yeah, it deserves a Grammy. I think it was uh, yeah, it was uh, it won the the 1998 Grammy for best rap solo performance. Ah, okay. Which. Yeah, so it samples a scene, uh, a song called uh, "Forget Me Nots" by Patrice Rushen. Rushen, I'm not actually familiar with her, but. I listened to the song, and it's nearly identical. It's sampled, yeah. It's. I think that's why it's technically not an original song because it so heavily samples this other song. Right. Yeah. So, like, because the chorus in the Men in Black, uh, they do get writing credit. Is... Patrice Rochelle. Yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's fine then, I guess. But um, the chorus is like, uh, "We won't. Let, um, we are the Men in Black." We won't let you remember. Oh. <laughs> and then the chorus in Forget Me Nots is like something, something, forget me nots to help me to remember. It's like almost the same. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I, I can't believe I didn't put the, the song on the soundboard, but uh, uh, otherwise I'd play it. I thought I assumed you had. Men in Black no, I... means what you thought you saw you did not see. Yeah, yeah, you can't see me. <laughs> Sorry, do you want, do I'm you not, want to I'm play, not play the, the John theme? Cena? I'm not gonna. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I, I love. Yeah, let me see. What do I got? Loyalty, respect, baby. 
Why is that relevant? I don't know. You can't that. see me. My time is now. So, does John Cena have a neuralizer? <laughs> is that what we're getting at here? I don't know what you're getting at. I don't know why you play that song. Why is that relevant? Because he in the song he in the in the rap he's like you know what you thought you see you don't what you thought you saw you didn't see because you can't see uh, you can't you. see gotcha. yeah and so then he's he's basically saying you can't see yeah me. that's right all right Keith so I want you to close your eyes my eyes are closed and I want you to imagine a world in which Agent J is played by none other than John Cena. Oh, it's such a good movie. Agent J is played by John, John Cena. Cena. Agent K is played yeah. by The Rock. It's such a good movie I'm watching right now. I mean, actually, let's just keep The Rock oh, and throw John Cena. John Cena is not very good in movies. <laughs> yeah. So, so The Rock is playing Tommy Lee Jones's part. So, who's Agent J? If we're getting rid of John Cena, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. <sighs> Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. Well, I think um, I think that brings us to the uh, the uh, special effects portion of of the afternoon. Oh uh, yeah, um, I suppose it is the afternoon. Isn't it? <laughs> Not really. Evening. Well, it yeah, was evening when we started. Yeah, it's the evening now. Not that you're watching it or listening to this in the evening. You can listen no, to it whatever you want. I I don't I disagree. What do you mean? They're only allowed to listen to it in the evening. All right, whatever. Um... <laughs> well, I was surprised to see uh, when uh, Keaton sent over those pictures. I actually didn't know that a lot of it was uh, practical effects and puppetry. Yeah, um, actually, that's really cool. There was a lot more practical effects and puppetry than made it into the movie. Yeah, well, but really? that's the thing when I when I like rewatched it because i hadn't seen it in a while i yeah. i went into it this time knowing that there was a lot more practical effects than i initially had thought i kind of thought when i first watched it that it was just all cg i assumed at least mm-hmm. um but yeah but it's like rewatching it you can kind of pick out like the, the non-cg bits and it's like it's actually really good um yeah uh, yeah yeah um but yeah you were saying like, sorry. and all of this is due yeah. to proper legend seven-time <laughs> academy award winner true legend True legend. I use that word a lot, but this man is a true legend. Rick fucking Baker. Yeah. Mm. Um, Rick Baker's work. No, no Jim Henson puppet shop though, eh? Uh, no, no but no Rick Baker. Rick Baker's in that league. Yeah, he's up there. For Rick, sure. Rick Baker's worked on some movies you may have heard of. Okay. Star Wars. <laughs> I have an American that. werewolf <laughs> in London. Uh. This isn't a movie, but you've definitely heard of it. The music video for Thriller. Oh, shit, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Gremlins 2. Oh, Ed Wood. Cool. Batman Forever. The Nutty Professor. 
uh, Men in Black, um, Men in Black Two, <laughs> Hellboy. Uh, we we got a bunch of shit. So yeah, uh, I wonder if they have like a they have like a, just like a burning rivalry between uh, Rick Baker and Jim Henson. No, I'm I sure. Know, I maybe. think they have I mean, their I niches. Think... Yeah, I mean, they both definitely, there's crossover. Like, yeah. I think, yeah. But, I think it's uh, Rick yeah. Baker Well, I mean, be... looking at looking at these prosthetics, like, creatures that are they used on the set, I mean, some of them look like exactly yeah. stuff that, that Jim Henson's Creature Shop would come up with. Yeah, so. yeah like, I mean, they definitely work in the same sort of... Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. Rick Baker was generally more, like, makeup uh prosthetic yeah it was it was like more makeup than puppetry although he did do some puppetry yeah yeah he there did was do some it, in this movie yeah right okay so yeah uh rick baker sort of uh he came up uh doing a lot of stuff with john landis uh starting with the movie schlock who's john landis? Uh, and then john landis I'm uh he did a name. lot of I, I'm definitely not thinking of like the the best John Landis movies, which is the problem. Like uh, I'm thinking of like coming to America. He did Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, did he do the first one? He did one of the Beverly Hills Cops. He did is Coming he to America. Or... No, he's a director. The Blues oh, okay. Brothers. He did the, the Blues, Blues Brothers. Brothers. That's he the did fucking the Twilight big movie. Zone yeah, yeah. movie. Schlock. Yeah. Schlock. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop three. Schlock. Schlock. Uh, he directed the music video for Thriller, which is why. Right. I oh, assume right. how they got in contact with. Uh, Rick Baker, uh, and American Werewolf in London being obviously one of uh, Rick Baker's most well-known effects. Yes, which is I don't know if you have ever seen that movie, but there's a whole extended scene where the guy turns into a werewolf, and it's it's pretty it's amazing. Awesome. Like yeah, how it's it really looks. awesome. Like they uh, they 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 not only have like you would think that they would just you know cut. Uh, you know, oh, here's this stage, and then here's this stage. But then they actually have like things moving on screen, right? Like, like parts are extending, and like the hair is actually growing out of it. Wow, right. And and it's cool That's how a they lot did of that. Cutscenes. Sorry, it's a, it's a, a lot, lot of cutting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they yeah. did. It's not actually animated. So what they did was they actually did the reverse, where they had hairs that were already extended, and then they pulled them in. They just cut That's them. That's cool. No, they like... pulled them in, and then they filmed it in reverse. Ah, interesting. That's weird. That's intense. Yeah, so it, it was pretty cool. And they actually filmed the whole sequence in reverse, so it was actually the process of him taking off the makeup instead of putting it on. Just like the fog. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a lot like that. But yeah, that whole thing looks great, and they they do the whole thing in like uh, like full light. That's so awesome. So they don't hide anything. Yeah, and that movie is from like, 1981, too, so... Yeah, it, it looks awesome. Yeah, it's early. Uh... But yeah, so uh, Rick Baker, he's fucking amazing, worked on all these amazing movies, and he kind of has a little bit of a reputation, or at least I don't know if he has this reputation, but from what I gather, he kind of, like, does his own thing. Like, he he wants to have a lot of creative license. Yeah, he, he uh, yeah, which is like, yeah, I, I would say that, uh, but I mean, having won seven Oscars, like, I think you, you kind of earn that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so getting on to men in black uh sort of the most interesting uh, there's so many actually interesting things in, in this movie but my my favorite obviously piece of effects that is is the the head with the alien inside yeah that is cool that is that's a great effect yeah, yeah. and the, the fact that that's all practical 
Really? Yeah. So how do they pull that off? They built a head that opened. That's awesome. And, that is, that and is that's cool. that's just insane to me that they actually fucking built that. Yeah. And man. that it, it was not like it was actually it moved and it opened and everything. Well, in addition, they they didn't like that was a character they had previously introduced, so they actually did have to recreate yeah, his likeness exactly. very accurately, as opposed to yeah. just if it was just a random person we didn't know of. It could kind of be yeah. Whatever, so they had know. to make like a super accurate like facial mold of this guy and like make it like look really really good. And I've seen the prop just like sitting uh, around. It looks it looks like a dead guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's like it looks like a dead body. Wow. It's fucked. Wow. But that's yeah. not actually the only time that they did that in this movie because they also have Edgar, who's the 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 Vincent uh, bug. Yeah, and um, they had to make a mold of his face because it's like falling off. Yeah, during yeah. the rest of the movie. Right. And I actually really like that makeup because there's a lot of attention to detail on that. It's like because it starts off kind of like weird and fucked up looking, but then it, like it gets more fucked up. Yeah, as it's the like whole movie it decays goes. around him. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah, details. Yeah, yeah. And it's like really I have great. no fucking clue how many they, how many things they had to do, but to make that. This is a perfect time to mention, and I've been wanting to do this the whole time. It's just Vincent yeah. D'Onofrio's performance is so good in this movie because it's disgusting. It's disgusting, but it's also yeah. like it's gross. It's he, just so good. He the whole time he's on screen, he's he's acting. His job as an actor is to act as if yeah. his body is inhabited by a giant insect alien. Like that's a hard yeah. fucking rule, yeah. and he nails and, and, it. And he 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 moves in the fucking prosthetic so well to make like the prosthetic like jiggle around and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in all the scenes where he's like in the truck and like moving around yeah. and is uncomfortable, and he's moving his own arm and he's yeah. jerking around, yeah. like that's all. That's that's yeah. That's that's great. Uh, that's great acting. Yeah, and apparently, yeah. yeah, he also wore. I don't know if you read this, Jake. He he wore like leg braces and like uh, ankle um, braces as well, so he couldn't like bend his legs as well. That's why he right. walked stiff like and kind of weird. That's funny. Yeah, that's hilarious. That makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. That does kind of look the same as somebody walking with leg yeah. braces. Yeah. Uh, he's not the only uh, actor in this movie who had to wear leg hardware, as it were. Yeah, who else? <laughs> Is wearing like, hardware. <laughs> uh, so in the beginning, there is the alien Mikey. Yeah, Mikey is actually a uh, a mix of uh, CGI and um, practical effects. Yeah, I wasn't sure because some yeah some scenes look a lot like practical and some looked more CG. So it, so they actually add. went ahead and built this eight foot tall suit that a man stood inside. He was wearing stilts, and uh, he had to he had to stand with his feet in like a really uncomfortable way. So like the 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 sole of his foot was essentially perpendicular to the ground. That's right. Okay, walking. I can kind of see that in this suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's like <laughs> wow. Um, and so they needed uh, a crew of eight people to fully operate the. <laughs> the thing because he also had all sorts of uh extra flippers uh, radio controlled things oh wow so was that whole scene practical or was it kind of a a blend so the scene where he's running is cgi yeah that's what i thought that's what i thought and also the scene where he like growls what about yeah yeah yeah. so the the thing is the scene where his eye turns back on his head is that uh, practical is one of his are the eyes mechanically 
operated. The eyes were mechanically operated. But basically, any scene where he's moving quickly is CGI. Right. Makes sense. For two reasons. One of which, it's harder to tell if something's CGI if it's in motion, because your eye's just going to blur it, right? Right. And the other reason is because practical effects that are eight feet tall and walking on stilts do not move quickly. No, I can imagine. <laughs> so yeah, this is a, this is uh, probably where some of the experience from Jurassic Park came in. Yeah, I was just going to mention, that's why uh, Steven Spielberg was... Uh good to have around for this sort of thing yeah so he probably suggested like these these this is how we sort of did the cgi to make it look good because like basically once again in Jurassic park what they did was like any time where the thing is stationary yeah. it's a rubber animatronic thing right but anytime it's like moving quickly it's cgi that makes yeah, sense yeah. it's smart it's so really smart it, but so the the idea is like uh, when you see the detailed thing close up and it's stationary, your eye kind of takes in all these details, and then when you see the CGI one, and you kind of apply kind those of details in, internally in your head, right? It's also not as important, right? Because your eye can't catch all the details exactly. Quickly. Yeah, man, I really wish there was more like use of animatronics, like in current. Uh... Yeah, it's such a it's such a lost medium. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know that like, it's lost, uh, but it's... it sounds like Brick Baker would agree with you. Yeah, well, <laughs> he he didn't seem particularly happy that uh, that they ended up using this CGI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, in his words, he uh, he said we had we could have made a movie called Mikey <laughs> with all the the <laughs> stuff we built just oh. for that one scene. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a movie called... That's pretty funny. I want yeah. to watch that movie. That could be the movie with David Schwimmer. <laughs> oh, no. And so they did they not end up using a lot of the prosthetics, or is it just... Um... Well, I, I from what I saw, um, I saw some stuff around uh, uh, Rick Baker's workshop. Like, um, like, yeah, they definitely did not show as many shots of that thing as i think they could have or should have like it didn't get right. as much screen time didn't get enough screen time for how much work they put into it that's too bad and there were a lot of there was a lot of fucking prosthetic work that they did in this movie like so much that apparently rick baker was like we had to subcontract the pros- uh, making of certain aliens because i had more shit to do than ever before oh wow um yeah and so uh and a lot of that was because that there was a bunch of stuff that they did that didn't end up in the movie now the biggest thing that didn't end up in the movie literally the biggest thing because it was like 15 feet tall yeah (laughs) was uh you know the scene at the end where they're fighting the giant bug oh yeah i know that scene yeah so obviously that bug's cgi right right is it entirely CGI the whole time? Yeah, the whole time it's CGI, yeah. and I I think that it's pretty noticeable, like compared to all the other. Yeah, it's not stuff. great. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. stands out. So there was a practical version of that. Yeah, they oh, spent a lot of money. I guess it... Well, there were two practical versions of that. They were both roughly uh, fifteen feet tall, and they could talk and walk. Wow. And. They, um, <laughs> but, uh, so basically 
the there was like several problems with the whole thing. So uh, Barry Sonnenfeld was adamant that the monster would be able to talk. Yeah. But Rick okay. Baker was like, no, it, it shouldn't talk. It's going to look stupid. Well, I, I got to so, like, side kept with, going back and with forth the director to on this one. Sorry? I got to side with the director on this one. If you can't make it talk, then we're going to CG it because it's it just irrelevant. It's just super important to the plot. Well, it does. It, it barely talks in the Well, the, it's true, actually. I don't think when it's the, in, it, I think it snarls, but I don't think yeah. it actually talks at all once yeah. it's, uh, once it's like a creature. This whole end sequence is a very interesting part of the film because yeah. it was um, basically the last thing they did and mm. they were like running out of time and they didn't have like an ending. And initially, as a script wrote it, um, uh, uh, Jay and the bug, Edgar, were supposed to have like a really uh, philosophical debate about the nature of the universe, and that was supposed to be the climax, <laughs> oh, as opposed to I'm a glad fight they didn't scene. Do that. Oh no! So I think that's why that would have been bad. Yeah, I think that's why he wanted it to talk initially, is because it was gonna right. Have so to... yeah, so they were like, well, okay, then I understand more. But anyway, so um, they're building this giant thing, and so they're like, oh, it's got to talk, and then he's like, no, it it, it can't talk. It's not going to look good. And then, like, um, they were like, okay, but what if he, uh, what if he held up, he's, he's, Rick Baker was constantly trying to figure out ways to, like, not make the thing talk. So he was <laughs> right. like, what if we, what if we held up the, 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 the disembodied skin of Edgar and the skin talked? That's hor- oh. horrible. But that's stupid. <laughs> that's horrifying. That's horrifying. Yeah, that is horrifying. And it, but it also doesn't make sense. Come on, Baker. No, it doesn't. He's starting to piss me and... off a little bit. What? <laughs> And so anyway, they end up building this giant bug, two of them, and they wheel it onto the set, they're ready to shoot it, and then they, and then they, Rick Becker gets notified, oh, we're not using that. They didn't think it looked bug-like enough. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he was pissed. <laughs> Apparently that, that he, like, that was the, the thing he put the most work into in the entire movie. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Was that? He... Bug that was thing. why he had to subcontract the aliens and stuff like that. It was because he was working on this giant thing that didn't have a Oh, yeah. Used. Oh, no. But, um... Anyway, so... I don't think he really holds that many hard feelings about it because he did come back for Men in Black 2 and 3. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at this puppet. It does look more like a snake than anything else. Yeah, so it, it was like... It didn't look as bug-like, I guess. And, like, that's... Uh, oh, I, I guess it's that. it's... It's easier to do in CGI, in a sense, because, like, you don't have to have things be structural. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, they might have run into some issues. Like, it did have to, like, climb a ladder and all that, right? So they would have yeah. to use some well, CGI. Well, anyways. yeah, they would have had to do some CGI. I'm sure thing, initially but... it wasn't supposed to climb that ladder. I think... Because, okay, this, the whole script is really weird. Because uh, initially there were two... Um, alien races plus the bugs like in the initial oh, script okay there was a whole other race of aliens called the balshans or the baltons baltons um right and they got cut out and they were at war with the achilleans for the possession of the tiny galaxy and then the bug is just trying to fuck everything up and just comes in and, and causes even more confusion but um like Apparently, test audiences were very confused by the whole thing. Oh, so they actually shot all that. 
Well, yeah, I think that it was like it was really it was it was it was, it was part of the film for for a long time, and then it just oh, wasn't really? working, well, so they cut it all out. And that's I'm why really surprised that they managed to get an edit that like you know, or I guess they must have done reshoots as well. Yeah. Um, that they were able to get it and it like made sense. Yeah, apparently, and as you were saying, like how Rick Baker showed up on set. Um, apparently yeah, with the, fu- the the with the two giant fifteen foot tall books. Yeah, apparently the reason he wasn't notified is because they wrote the final version of the script the night before. Uh, they really? shot that scene. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe tell me before I built this giant fucking bug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That does suck though, but. Um... Yeah, I mean, like, as, yeah, definitely the, the CGI is noticeable, but I also don't think it's that bad. No, it's not like, that on, bad, on but it's just it's such a shame that they actually built this thing. And it's not yeah, yeah, I just feel... It's yeah, that like, is too bad. Yeah. All right, yeah, so that's, uh, that's most of the uh, good uh, bits about uh, the makeup for this movie. We could talk about Rick Baker a little bit more if we want, but uh, I think we'll probably come across him in future podcasts. Yeah, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. We can yeah. we can leave the rest of his story for But yeah, as absolute legend. <laughs> true mm-hmm. legend. True legend. True true legend. You've forgotten, but there's an alien battle cruiser about to... There's always an alien battle cruiser or a Karelian death ray or an intergalactic plague that's about to wipe out life on this miserable little planet. The only way these people get on with their happy lives is they do not know about it. Yeah, so... When when filming concluded, um, Sonnenfeld quickly uh, he showed it to executives because he had the idea for like the intro scene with the dragonfly and the outro scene with like the aliens playing marbles. Um, but CG shots like that at the time were so damned expensive that it was the kind yeah. of thing where he waited until they had shot the movie. He showed the the production company the movie, and then they greenlit those shots. Really? So that he could add it to the movie. <laughs> because they were like, okay. Huh. Yeah. But apparently that seems to be, uh, the way uh, uh, Sonnenfeld was talking about it, that seems to be a, a fairly uh, common thing in Hollywood. Where you like, you know, you can secure a bit more funding after you've uh, proven that your movie is working. Yeah, I mean, I can but, see that. Because it's like, you know. You're like, oh. No, if you can tell yeah. if it's going to be a total bust and you're going to lose a ton of money, and then yeah. you're like, okay, no, I'm not giving you an extra whatever million dollars. Yeah, obviously it depends CGI on how sequence. confident you are in your own movie. And uh, obviously, as we've been mentioning time and time again, the whole Men in Black franchise was wildly successful. Um, but do you guys have any idea exactly how successful? Um, no, I actually uh, managed the whole not franchise? to look that up. What's for the first movie? We're just we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. But okay. for the first movie, what's your box office gross estimate? I want to say three hundred million. So, what was the budget? Can you tell me that? Somewhere in the range of a hundred million. I think it was ninety. No, million. it's less than hundred. Yeah, million. ninety million. Okay, that's oh, pretty cheap, actually. Um, well, yeah, that's it, that's a reasonably cheap, large but... movie in nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah. It's... Um. Uh, I'm gonna say okay. So let's say three seventy five. Three hundred seventy. Three hundred seventy five million dollars. Okay, so it it premiered on July second, nineteen ninety seven. On opening weekend, it took in eighty seven million dollars. Oh, jeez, that's a lot. That's quite a bit of money. And according to IMDb, it achieved a box office gross of over five hundred and eighty nine million (laughs) dollars. Wow, that's huge. It's huge. 
Really? Five, it was, eight, no, Jesus it was the highest grossing film ever made by Columbia Pictures until it was surpassed by uh, the Spider-Man movie in 2002. So you know what's bizarre about that number, though? The $589 million, is that it wasn't the top film of the year. <laughs> what, what, really? what, what? It was the third film Titanic? of the year. Titanic? Yeah. Oh, really? right, Titanic. Titanic yeah. also came out in 97. Do you know how much Titanic made? A lot. Uh, at least a B. Just under two billion. No. That's worldwide. Uh, so I just want to point out in in metrics that that really matter how successful Men in Black was. Okay. And that is that it is the tenth most owned Laserdisc of all time. Whoa. That's <laughs> <laughs> hmm. top ten, man. That's that's, that's some 10. impressive shit. So what? Yeah. It's technically top ten. So yes. what? Five copies are owned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like a lot of copies. That that reminds me, actually, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld um, had a quote where he said um, that because he he was talking about like deleted scenes and stuff, and he was saying he cuts. He's like one of the only directors that he knows of that like cuts stuff as willingly as he does. Like apparently, the editor that he works with is often the one that has to be like, well, maybe, Barry, you want to keep that, whereas often it's usually mm. the other way around, right, where the editor yeah, is throwing yeah, yeah. shit out. Um, but, yeah, he was saying, like, I would be, I'll be the only uh, director whose Laserdisc director cut is is shorter than the actual yeah. version. <laughs> <laughs> it really dates That's that fine. quote, I think. Yeah, um, speaking of which, uh, number 11 of most owned laserdiscs is Blade Runner, the director's cut. So they were a thing. Huh. Director's cuts were big on laserdisc. Makes sense. But so also just because we were talking about Men in Black Two earlier, that film also made like just under half a billion dollars. So yeah, combined uh, just the first two movies. Yeah, they made like a, a billion dollars. And then let's go back to uh, Lowell Cunningham. How much did he make? Yeah, he made. I don't know, I'm going to guess, like, just over $100,000. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Probably. Which, you know, is good for, like, selling your comic that ran for, like, a couple issues, right? I know, it's such a... Yeah, I guess, if you don't know what it's yeah, going it... to turn out to be like. But I would, I would, I would like, he should have been smart enough to be like, oh, I want, like, I don't know, whatever, 1%. Yeah, you know? yeah. Make sure that Even... that's 1% of gross, because uh, Hollywood accounting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so where are we at? You want to do the truth? <laughs> we haven't even done the truth yet. Let's do the fucking truth. All right, here we go. The truth. Welcome to the truth. This is where we find out something strange about the movie, or related to the movie, tangentially. <laughs> and we get to the bottom of it. I'm expecting this is going to be uh, a big one, given that there's alien-related oh, content. Oh, this is going to be a big one. Yeah, I mean, the last one had David Duchovny <laughs> in it, so I don't know how you can top that. <laughs> if, oh, if, if you had David Duchovny and aliens, or, or Gillian Anderson... That would be perfect. Uh, I yeah. can't wait until that's an opportunity. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so how related to the movie is this? You'll see. You okay. just so the first thing I'm going to ask you is to just just is Will Smith an alien? Just just well. sit back for a second and just open your mind as far as you can. Okay. Clint Eastwood. That's as far as it goes. Keep going. You're going to have David to keep Schwimmer. going. Do I have to include David Schwimmer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Past that. I'd say at least be as wide as David Schwimmer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a big that's, ass. That's the absolute, that's the absolute yeah. minimum. Minimum. All right. I'm Thank closing you. my eyes. I'm contacting the aliens. Okay, so I... <laughs> <laughs> so, here we go. What is this movie about? What's the subject matter? Aliens. Aliens. Correct. And we know it was released in 1997, correct? Okay, yeah. Awfully close to the millennium, don't you think? Well, I mean... <laughs> okay. So Coincidence? Is that what you're getting at, Keaton? No, so huh? do you know what else occurred in 1997? I don't know. Have you heard, either of you heard, of a phenomenon known as the Phoenix Lights? Uh... That sounds familiar. Is that the one with the floating balls? Yes. So basically, okay. the Phoenix Lights phenomenon. I think phenomenon. I might have seen it on the History Channel at one point. Good, good. So maybe this will this will refresh your memory a bit. Yeah. Basically, the, the Phoenix Lights phenomenon was an unexplained UFO event witnessed by thousands of people as it traveled southeast from Henderson, Nevada, over Phoenix, and eventually passing Tulsa. It right. was described by those who saw it as many individual lights making up like a large wedge or V-shape in the sky. So not a saucer. Not a saucer, or, no. But a, no, but no. a triangle. A, so, a wedge. Delta. So so our buddy, uh, is, is Al Bender, is not interested at all. <laughs> no, the Bureau has, doesn't even care about this at all. They're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> wedge schmedge. So this is one of the most interesting UFO... Saucer or bust. <laughs> this is one of the most interesting UFO events, simply because of the sheer number of people who have witnessed and reported it. So this is a close encounter of the first kind. Yeah, this is the first kind. Um, and so there have been many people have claimed they've debunked it. They called it swamp gas and all these other things. But, you know, swamp gas of... through a weather balloon reflected off of Venus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Regardless of what it was, however, <laughs> regardless of what it was, thousands of regular people saw something that they couldn't explain. And in fact, several people even claimed to have men in black encounters shortly after reporting the event. Okay. Now, this is where it starts to get interesting. On the evening in question, um, there was referenced a quote-unquote civilian pilot who was flying in the area. Okay. He witnessed the lights and radioed air traffic control to report them. When the control tower assured him that there were no other planes in the sky, he declared them as unidentified objects. Do you know who that civilian pilot was? Wait, wait, what year was this? 1997. Was this before or after the movie? This came out... This happened like two months before the movie was released. Okay. So it wasn't in the public consciousness yet. 
I mean, I have an idea of which military pilot it might have been, but not a civilian one. No, so it was a civilian pilot. Are you sure it wasn't men in, it wasn't Will Smith from Independence Day? Pretty damn sure. Okay. okay Do you want to so, know who it was? Yeah, who was it? I want to know. Kurt fucking Russell. Really? <laughs> yes, what? it was Kurt Russell. Okay. Okay. So, hold on. This is where things start to get a little bit more strange and a little bit more complex. Okay. It wasn't until 2017 that Kurt Russell publicly admitted to being that civilian pilot, leading some of the more fringe ufologists to speculate that he had his mind wiped by aliens <sighs> or perhaps the men in black. Neuralized. Um, now, this may sound far-fetched, but consider. Russell said he strangely forgot that the event ever occurred, and never mention it to his wife or his son, who had also witnessed the lights. Hmm. It was almost as if he had forgotten about it until prompted in an interview with details from the event. Hmm. Do we have like documented evidence saying that he was that it was him? Yeah, yeah, it's, it was okay. him. Okay, because like, uh... there's transcripts of him talking okay. to and it's air traffic control. Russell. Okay, so it's not it like definitely... something, it's not like a made-up memory. Yes, it was positively Kurt Russell. So, so the. The weird thing is that he didn't remember it. Yeah, but that's just a tangentially weird thing. There's more. Are you guys taking notes? Seems like something you would remember. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it and does. And mention yeah. to your wife. Yeah. Now, while looking into this event, I discovered that Kurt is not the only Russell to have seen a UFO. Oh. Okay. In fact, Russell Crowe also claims to have witnessed a UFO. <laughs> Interesting use of Russell. He even, there, yeah. he even caught it on film in his backyard. Really? Yes. Huh. So yeah. is is is, uh, is Russell Crowe a ufologist? No, no, he just has his... Sorry, sorry, account. sorry. Oofologist. Yeah, ufologist. Ufologist. Mm. Ufology. Ufology. Big ufologist. <laughs> anyway... The conspiracy does not stop there. No, okay. no, no. Uh, that's those are Richard... two unrelated conspiracies. To be fair, hold but... on. Just okay. No, two okay, men this... who both contain Russell in their names. So <laughs> this is this is all you gotta. This is why I said keep okay. your mind open because these are all floating parts that are all gonna come back together. Yeah. So, Richard Russell Jr. I'll say that name one more time. Richard Russell Jr. Are they was. related to Kurt Russell? Okay. Because I, I think Kurt Russell has, like, a it's other people in his family who were actors as well, I think. He's not an actor. Richard oh. Russell Jr. was a piece of shit. Was a what? He was a piece of shit segregationist governor of Georgia yeah. in the 1930s. Um, but he also served... Huh? Fitting name, then. Yeah, exactly. Dick, Dick? Ru Dick Jr. Dick Russell. Um, he also served in the U.S. Senate for 40 years and was a member of the Warren Commission investigating, obviously, the assassination of JFK. Right. Um, but oh, this please guy... don't tell me we're tying this to... No, 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 no. <laughs> no. I won't make that connection. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, but we this almost Senate... went there. On the last uh -oh. We did. We were close. <laughs> we just glanced it. We just yeah. glanced it. We didn't go there. Um, 
Yeah, so this this senator, Richard Russell, as well he was senator, he witnessed a UFO in 1955 on a train headed to Prague. And speaking of trains, in 2002, <laughs> there was a report in Kentucky of a train colliding with a UFO. Do you know where that train had left from earlier that day? Russell, Kentucky. Phoenix? Russell, Kentucky. Oh, really? Okay. It doesn't stop there. In 2007, pilot Ray Brower and two passengers witnessed two UFOs while flying over the English Channel. Specifically, they were flying over the Channel Islands. Now, in the Channel Islands in the English Channel, there are several smaller channels between these islands. Okay. Do you know what two of them are called? Russell? I have no clue. The larger is called the Great Russell, and the smaller <laughs> is called the Little Russell. Okay. But that's not all. Right. Do you know what the names of the passengers in Ray Brower's plane were? I don't. Russell? It was a couple by the name of Kate and John Russell. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is good. Okay. 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 Now limber up, limber up, guys. Because okay, the, okay. the big stretch is coming. The big stretch is coming. We're gonna get more Russell, or is it gonna like circle Just, back on the movie let's, somehow? Let's forget about. Let's forget about Will Smith, Barry Sonfeld, Men in Black, Kurt Russell, Russells. Let's just forget about all that for one moment. Okay. And instead, let's go back fifty years, and take a look at a man by the name Walt Disney. Yeah. What's his middle name? <laughs> Russell? <laughs> no. <laughs> Throughout World War II, Disney Studios was very cooperative with the American government, producing several GI instructional videos, as well as, you know, a few pretty racist propaganda films well, featuring also Donald Duck. The, uh, Uncle, um, Uncle Joe uh, Stalin apologist videos. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. But, but Disney's association with the government doesn't stop there. Okay. Now, as you may or may not know, Walt Disney was very interested in rocket science. I did know um, this. Yes, he was very passionate about the idea of educating the masses about rocket science and the final frontier okay. of space. Yeah. Uh, so Ron much Ron so. Braun did yes. like a, yeah. Oh, we're, get, we're getting into so that. So much so <laughs> that in the 1950s, Disney Production Studios created a series of educational videos featuring Walt Disney's buddy, Werner Von Braun, a former Nazi and literal member of the SS, explaining details of rocket engineering spliced in with cutesy He's Disney He's also cartoons. literally the designer of the Apollo did, 5 did we mention? Yeah, did we mention Werner Von Braun when we were talking about Apollo 13? We did, but... Yeah, we but, must have, yeah. We did, but we... That's a whole He's, other story. Yeah, okay. Like, um, Do you know what the main character of the Disney film Up is? Russell. <laughs> what does that have to do with aliens? I don't know. It has to do with Disney. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but, I, honestly, um, I'm barely scratching the surface of like this Disney, Von Braun, NASA, and space program connection. Yeah. There's a whole thing. It's interesting. But for the purposes of time right now, we will skip over all of that and jump straight to a testimony from a na man named Ward Kimball. Oh, his name's not Russell? No, no, no. Okay. Do you know who Ward Kimball was? Who? 
Uh, he was a he was an animator and a director at Disney, um, and who, his involvement and importance to the company is probably only paralleled by Disney himself. Like he directed Snow White. He oh, okay. he, he direct like he was just he was pretty as okay. important as Disney yeah. was. Um, he claimed in an interview from 1979 that in the mid 1950s, the United States Air Force contacted Disney about producing a documentary about UFOs, a project which would not come huh. to fruition in the okay. 1950s. Okay. The, the the theory of many ufologists is that Disney Studios was being used as a propaganda mechanism by the U.S. government to manipulate and gauge the public's reaction to the idea of space travel and to the idea of UFOs because they were considering declassifying some of their secret files on UFOs, specifically the truth about the events that occurred in 1947 at Roswell, New Mexico. Okay. Now. The reason I just mentioned the documentary didn't come into fruition specifically in the 1950s is because there is a rare feature-length Disney documentary about UFOs, which aired once. Have you ever heard of this? No. No, I haven't, actually. It's this bizarre Disney documentary that aired on several very minor TV channels at very bizarre times in 1994, I believe. Was it produced in 1994? So they had to wait yeah, like forty so. years. Well, so it's not the original. It's not the original documentary. It's not the original one, but although it might be spliced with some footage from it. So right. was the, was the whole Vernon Von Brown thing um, just a sidetrack? Well, it was to establish that uh, Disney was involved in space and stuff like that. Space okay. and rocket science sure. and all that. Um, because now, you can't get I more watched... rockety than Werner Von Braun. <laughs> You're the actual SS designer of, of the Apollo Brown. 5 rocket um, and NASA's entire space program, too. Yep. Saturn, you mean 5, Saturn 5. Yep. Yeah. So I watched most of this Disney documentary, and it's so damn bizarre. Yeah. It's hosted by Michael Eisner. Okay. Uh, chairman of Disney at the time. And it's shot on in Disneyland. Um, <laughs> okay. And the, its tone is, is so it shot weird. It's the world it, of tomorrow. Kinda. Well, yeah. it, it, it discusses aliens and UFOs and ufology as if they're accepted as fact. Like, as if they are... Like, it's just got this tone, and it, like, it, but it's, it's genuine, because it interviews actual, okay. like, ufologists. It's like a genuine... Uh, 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 Sponsored like, by so, so, but it, it seems to interview them from the perspective that it accepts their uh, ideas. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 it's The tone of it is that it's already common knowledge that UFOs exist and the government has them. <laughs> At the, the, that same year, Disney Studios hosted a weird UFO convention attended... Um, uh, attended by Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's the same as the movie. I don't know, who knows? Movie. Maybe he was there. Maybe, uh, but it's the same as the movie. It had, like, Although Kurt all, Russell like, wasn't a lot of Disney movies early in his career. Yeah, it's true. Um... They hosted a convention that was. Uh... It, it was it was like the same as the movie. It was it was a, attended mostly by like professionals, quote unquote, like professional, professional ufologists. ufologists. But similar similarly to the movie, it was not promoted or advertised like at all, and it like never happened again. Sorry, by movie you mean the the Disney documentary, okay. not Men in Black. The documentary. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the documentary. 
Yeah. Um, now, the official explanation for this is that these two events, the movie and the convention, were a promotional stunt for the short-lived alien encounter extraterrestrial Disneyland ride, but ufologists claim that the ride is actually a cover for the movie, which is again acting as a propaganda machine for the government, testing the public's reaction to the idea of extraterrestrials and UFOs. So is the ride a real alien spaceship, like the the, uh, thing in uh in men in black the world's fair thing no well it was like it was apparently the ride was like almost a horror ride right. like it was terrifying oh, yeah. apparently it was like only there for a couple of years i think now it's like whatever the stitches strange adventure ride or something right, but yeah. oh that's interesting yeah so you may be asking what is the common thread that ties these two time frames together yes it, i am asking that yeah well, you may ask, beyond like beyond the self-explanatory connection between the Phoenix Lights and Roswell, New Mexico, I would draw your attention to the fact of Walt Disney's last written words. Okay, what were they? Shortly before he died in 1966, Walt Disney scrawled a name on a piece of paper. Do you know whose name he scrawled on this piece of paper? Kurt Russell. Kurt fucking Russell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, they knew each other. So finally, this yeah. brings me to my theory. I posit that this Disney documentary, as well as Men in Black, the movie, were both parts of a calculated effort by the U.S. government to normalize the idea of aliens and alien activity to the public, specifically in regards to the 1997 Phoenix Lights phenomenon. See, you're basically just going off the fact that it came out in 1997. Yes, similarly (laughs) to how they had done with Roswell in the 1950s, and I further posit that the 1997 Phoenix Lights were a predicted event that Walt Disney was aware of, and that he was aware of Kurt Russell's future involvement in the phenomenon, and the reason that Walt Disney was aware of this was because of his involvement with the United States government UFO program, which had in fact made contact with extraterrestrials. And do you know what the goddamn nail in the coffin is? The what? evidence that clinches the whole fucking thing uh, together? Yes, it definitely clinches the... it. Okay, wait, wait. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me take a hand. Um, Will Smith and Kurt Russell are best friends. Definitely not. Don't. I don't so. think that that would be true. Okay. I don't think that they would get along. I lost the thread. Okay, what is <laughs> The evidence that ties all of this together and proves my theory as yeah. the truth is that three different Russells worked on the Men in Black. <laughs> okay, who are they? And who neuralized Kurt Russell? <laughs> I never thought I would say that phrase, who neuralized Kurt Russell. How did we get to Disney again? Was there somebody at Disney named Russell? No. No, no. The, Kurt the, Russell were Walt Disney's yeah, last Kurt words. Russell. Okay, that was, that yeah. was, that, but Disney was his a separate train words. of thought that connected to them. Yeah, So, but Kurt Russell and Disney are intertwined. Right. And there you have it. That's the truth. Now you know. Well, I mean, that's a truth. <laughs> No, oh, that's the well, truth. <laughs> that's uh, it's uh, AI the story bonuses. of the day. Um, um, no, I I think it was Ronald Reagan. What was Ronald Reagan? What does that statement even mean? I think it was Ronald Reagan. 
<laughs> Ronald uh, Reagan knew about aliens. And so he set this whole plan in motion when he was president. Sorry? You're saying Ronald Reagan in as president in the 1980s was responsible for the 1947 Roswell, New Mexico cover-up? What are you talking about? Yeah, so when he was governor of California. Right. He was uh, flying in a plane with two security guards. And he said, it appeared to be several hundred yards away. It was fairly steady light until it began to accelerate, and then it appeared to elongate. Will you do that again in a, in a, with a Ronald Reagan impression? I don't, I don't know if I can... <laughs> Tear down this wall! <laughs> we followed it for several minutes... No, is that, that? <laughs> That's that good. We followed it for several minutes... It was a bright white light. God. We followed it to Bakersfield. And all of a sudden... I don't know if... Is that a good Why wrong does he sound like he's about to fall asleep? <laughs> all of a sudden, in our utter amazement, we... <laughs> you get the picture. He saw a flying saucer. <laughs> he saw a fucking saucer. Call the pound, we got a stray! Uh, the, the dog owes my friend money. Killians and bugs, Frank, what do you know? I know nothing. Not a thing. <laughs> Rosenberg wasn't some two-bit Archillian. He was the guardian of a whole galaxy. They thought he'd be safe here on Earth. And the bug had other plans. The galaxy is the best source for subatomic energy in the universe. If the bugs get their slimy claws on it, kiss the Archillians goodbye. Well, I do have a, I do have a bone to pick. Yeah? All right, okay. So, Jake has lied to us. Jake is working for the Scientologists to spread oh, disinformation. Shit. Um... The truth about Will Smith and Scientology is not as black and white as it may appear. But he said he wasn't one. He said he is not a Scientologist, <laughs> but he has also said, and I quote, I just think a lot of the ideas in Scientology are brilliant and revolutionary and non-religious. Oh, as well, no. he dedic he uh, donated $122,500 to three Scientology organizations. Okay, no, he might be a Scientologist then. Oh, yeah. he's a, he Scientologist. a Scientologist. Um, yeah. So that's a, a story. <laughs> <laughs> You guys want to do Six Degrees of Star Trek? Oh, yeah, of course. Cool. I almost forgot about Star Trek. Alright. So, you know, movie about aliens, sci-fi, naturally, you know, you'd think... It could be some Star Trek connections. Could be. There could be. Could be. So yeah, this is the uh, segment where we connect things to Star Trek uh, through movies that people have been in or worked on, and you can connect it to any facet of the Star Trek universe from any of the movies or TV shows. And we all know that this is the segment that none of you asked for, but you're getting it anyway. <laughs> so, uh, starting off, we have... Carl Struckian, Carol Struckian. I don't know how you how you pronounce his name. Carell Struckian. He's the big tall guy. Oh, yeah. uh, he plays one of the aliens in this movie. The Arkelian. Arkelian. He's in. Uh, he's in obviously human disguise. Um, he meets the uh, Arkelian prince, I guess, at the uh, at the pierogi restaurant, 
But yeah, um, he was yeah. So he's been in five episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. I'm not as surprised. the same character, he's a semi-recurring character, although he has almost no lines because that's his character. <laughs> um, so uh, he often pops up alongside uh, the worst character in the entire Star Trek universe. Cass? No, um, Luxana Troy. Oh, she who is, is worse Deanna than Troy's Cass. mother. She is played by uh, Major Ronberry, who. Yeah, is fine in all her other roles. Yeah. Uh, nothing against her, but um, she's actually the voice of all the ships, which yeah, is interesting. That's right. Uh, so she's actually technically in more episodes of Star Trek than anybody else. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, fucking Luxana Troy is insufferable. Uh, she is. She's awful. I hate her. She's completely awful. And so, like, um, I guess Carl Strokin played like her uh, companion. Poor I mean, not, bastard. I guess, I mean, I know that, because I fucking saw all the Star Trek episodes, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, and then he was in one episode of Star Trek Voyager as a different character, I believe. Another connection is Donald Peterman. Who's who, Donald? He was the cinematographer for Men in Black. Right. Okay, and he was also the cinematographer for a little movie called Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Ah. One of the most successful Star Trek movies. So that's yeah, one degree. That yeah. So nice. these last one were both one degree direct connections. Okay. Uh, and the second one, I thought the third one. This is a two step, and it is my favorite because this one goes through our boy Will Smith, the Fresh Prince, the show. Okay. The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Okay. And the connection is James Avery, who, if you ever seen the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Plays Uncle Phil. Yeah. Indeed, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle Phil played a fucking Klingon. Oh my no god. Way. That's amazing. Yes. Uncle Phil played General Kavach <laughs> in uh, Star Trek Enterprise, two back to back episodes. Um, fucking right. That's excellent news. <laughs> excellent news. Yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, there's another one that we could do. Uh, I did that one, but we have another one via. Uh, Will Smith, which is that Will Smith was in a movie called Made in America, which starred Whoopi Goldberg. And as we know, Whoopi Goldberg was a recurring character on Star Trek The Next Generation. Oscar winner Whoopi Goldberg. EGOT EGOT winner. Oh, EGOT winner. Yeah, that's right. EGOT winner. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's what we got for this week with the uh, Six Degrees. You want to move on to final thoughts, I guess? Can I can I add, uh, since we're talking Six Degrees, I mean, I think it's all <laughs> natural. Of Kevin Bacon? Yeah, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Do you have hold one? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You have to describe what you're doing here before you just go straight into the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. we're... Explain Six Degrees of Kevin oh, Bacon. Oh, I'd have to... Ex- well, it's the same as Six Degrees of Star Trek. It's just how many connections you need to get to Kevin well, Bacon. Well, I mean, obviously... Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon came first, but... Yeah, like, you know. yeah, it is. Just how many connections you need via filmography to get to Kevin Bacon. Um, right. So, we have... Uh, I mean... So, Will Smith... Okay. ...was in Men in Black 3 with Josh Brolin. Yeah. Uh, Josh Brolin was in Kevin Bacon in the film... Wait, wait, wait. Say, say that again. No, Josh Brolin and Kevin Bacon. He was in Kevin Bacon. With Kevin Bacon, sorry. 
Josh Brolin and Kevin Bacon appear together in the film Hollow Man. So Josh Brolin, who is Men in Black, so I guess Men in Black, the series, has a uh, Bacon number of one, but Will Smith has a Bacon number of two. Okay, yeah, what are my final thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, honestly, it's a bit hard for me to be objective about this one, because I watched this movie so much growing up. Yeah, yeah. me too. Uh, but rewatching it recently, I think it had been a few years since I'd seen it, and I rewatched it just on the weekend. And I was really uh, happily surprised with how well it stood up to my memories of it. Um, yeah, it It's really funny. Uh, I think it's classic. Um, it's interesting to know that so much of the, the practical, the, 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 the aliens are practical effects and not just all CGI. I think that's kind of helps it, uh, stand the test of time better. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, Absolutely. yeah, thank God it's not David Schwimmer. <laughs> yeah. I think we're all with you on <laughs> yeah, that one. I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't put it better myself. That's yeah. summed it up pretty much perfectly. It's yeah. It's fun. Hilarious. Holds yeah. up well. David Schwimmer's not in it. Yeah. And then, apart from the, yeah. I guess the ending, uh, that's just totally irrelevant to the the rest of the series because they just, yeah. Uh, I don't know, uh, Linda Fiorenti or whatever. Fiorentino. Fiorentino. Yeah. Uh, Actually, her name in the movie is Doctor Weaver. Doctor Weaver. Yeah. Uh, there you go. She's got a whole. I mean, one thing I did. I did like about the ending is that they didn't like uh they didn't end up in like a romantic relationship. No. no. Which would be like the yeah, obvious yeah, thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um you always appreciate when they don't. But I did additionally yeah. think it was kind of it was kind of funny. It's like, well, the whole like, you know, um uh Will Smith, Agent J had to get neuralized on his in his initial test because they couldn't and then he had to go through a yeah. secondary test. Uh, just to make sure he would be good enough for the MIV, and then this woman off the street just managed to become an agent just by talking to them, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, presumably there were a couple of neuralizations that happened in between there that we <laughs> right, didn't right. see on Yeah, there must have been... <laughs> Although she did get neuralized several times. Also, Tommy that. Lee Jones straight up lied to yeah. uh, Will, Smith's, Will Smith's face when uh, yeah, he he's very yeah, he vehemently did. asking if he got... If, did you did you ever use that on me? Did you ever use that on me? No. Yeah. I'm not playing. Did you use that on me? No. That's a that's a bold-faced lie. Aren't you worried about, like, brain cancer sign? <laughs> Only a little. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> gag. That's a good gag. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, there was something I wanted to bring up that we, I think, somehow missed. Um, and that is we missed the... Uh, Lowell Cunningham, Lowell Cunningham, uh, his, yeah. this, this line that you sent me is so good. I can't believe we didn't use it, uh, on, on why the men in black use sunglasses to 
prevent the oh, neuralization. No, and he so says, good. they I... don't call them Ray-Bans for nothing. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some A-class humor. The other thing is, like, are they regular Ray-Bans? Like, if I go and buy a pair of Ray-Bans, am I immune to neuralization? You're asking the wrong guy. Talk to Kurt Russell or Walt Disney. Yeah, well, clearly, I don't know. I'll ask him, were you wearing Ray-Bans? Do they call them Ray-Bans in the movie? No. I don't think, I don't think, I don't they, even think I think they call them sunglasses. They, he just says, put these on. Put on the sunglasses. Put on the sunglasses. <laughs> Sorry, oh, well, do they live movie. some other week? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so not only do sunglasses protect you from neuralization, but they also allow you to see what's really going on. Jake, did you do your final thoughts? No, I didn't, actually. Anyway, the fact is you're not going to get a lot of unbiased opinion from the guy holding the holographic uh, VHS of Men in Black. So, <laughs> you know, I think you can take yeah. that as you will. <laughs> 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 All right, now, now I will play us out. <laughs>